Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than the watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. That's Hesed. Remember last week? Hesed. There is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. We pray. Lord, I pray that you would give us um, eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to trust you. Jesus, come be with us, Jesus, by the power of your spirit. Amen. Um, What this psalm is about is trusting God with your guilt. So we talked last two weeks about trusting God. First week was, what does it mean to trust God? And then like, is God trustworthy? But now... How do I trust God with my guilt and my sin and my shame? How do I do that? That's what this psalm is about. Nothing has been more difficult in my life, personally. More confusing than believing God loves me in my imperfection. Holding the belief that I'm still sinful and make mistakes every single day. And that God accepts me. is the, the hardest thing in my life. That in myself I'm guilty and, I, and I'm, I, I'm shameful. But that I can trust the good news that God will never hold my sins against me. It's the hardest thing for me to believe in real time. And so this, this psalm is very important to me. How can, we, how can I, how can you, how can we really trust God? With our guilt, there are two things, and a so what. The first one is, we have to trust the bad news about us. To trust that there's bad news about us. What the Bible says. Second, trust the good news. The bad news, trust the, trust the, the bad news, trust the good news, and then so what does that mean? How do we actually live in that? Because he gives us a really interesting picture. So trusting the bad news that the Bible says about us. So if you're here tonight... And you're exploring Christianity, you're exploring the claims of Jesus, like we're so, that's why we exist, we we're exist for you to, to know who Jesus is and expose you to the gospel. People all over the map, people who have known uh, Christ and walked with him their whole lives, never knew a day, and then there are other, others of you that's brand new. I'm here tonight to tell you that the Bible first has bad news about the human condition. There's no good news without the bad news. The truth about us. And it's the truth that we're guilty before God. And so that's where he starts. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? And so the word there, iniquity. Iniquity is an interesting word, the Hebrew word here. It not only is about like the Twisted things that we do and say and feel that we do with our minds, that we do with our mouths, that we do with our bodies. But it's all also about the consequences that come from the twisted things we do. So it's like this swamp of disobedience and sin. He's saying, if you would mark iniquities, who could stand? And the point is, it's a rhetorical question. No one could, right? 
He's saying that all of mankind is marked by being crooked. There is a bentness to humanity. We are, the Bible says, lost. Lost. That means alienated from God because of our sin. It's really bad news. Like, it starts with the bad news. So why is the gospel good news? It has to start with the bad news that, out of, that we're in the depths. He's crying out in the depths. And so the, the psalmist here has experienced a profound sense of his own wretchedness and brokenness and need. And he's made a mess of his life because of his sin. He feels it. He knows it. You ever heard the song Amazing Grace? You know, that's like the most, that's like the free bird of the Christian world, right? <laughs> amazing Grace. Everybody sings Amazing Grace. Like, atheists sing Amazing Grace, right? It's an amazing, because it, it's a great song as well. John Newton, who wrote that song, was a slave trader's conversion. It's, it's a great story. He's my favorite dead Christian. I've talked about John Newton a lot. But you notice know, the first line of that very, very famous song. It's been the most famous line of the most famous song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. A wretch. We don't use the word wretch anymore. But like, you know what a wretched person is? It's a miserable, pitiful, broken person crying out for mercy. It is an absolute dead-end person. Wretch. How many times have you sung that song and think like you're a wretch? They have all these beautiful people on Sunday morning saying that saved a wretch like me. You don't think you're a wretch. Like you look beautiful. You look wonderful. You're awesome. You don't think. But like a wretch. Here's the point. If you think you're only sort of half a wretch, grace is only half amazing. So the Bible says to, about, about humanity is that we are wretched. In fact, there's a writer, a uh, theologian of the last century named Francis Schaeffer. He's one of my favorite writers. He was an apologist. Spent a lot of time in Switzerland and in all over Europe um, arguing on behalf of Christianity and, and, and what he's, he used to say, I give honest answers to honest questions. So he's a brilliant guy. But one of the things he said about the 20th century man and also true about the 21st century man is that the real problem, the real human dilemma is that we have real moral guilt before God. Objectively guilty before God, the creator. That's what the Bible is saying. Not just guilt feelings. But actual, real, moral guilt. And he said that, that any other explanation about Christianity that takes away, that says that, that our ultimate problem is that we're separated from a holy God and we're under the judgment of a holy God because of our sin, that gives any other solution, he says it's a cruel, it's a cruel illusion. So when we talk about salvation, being you're saved from something. And the reality is, it's that we're saved from our iniquities. We're saved from our brokenness. We're saved from our twistedness. We're saved from our perversion in our thoughts and our words and our deeds. And some of you being here tonight, you may think, that's really passe. Like, come on, we're sophisticated people. To talk about, like, guilt and judgment. I'm not saying this. This is the, this is the Bible's case. The Bible's saying there's only good news if it starts with bad news. And so let me ask you this question. Even if, like, you're here tonight and you're like, I don't know, that does sound kind of passe. That sounds kind of old-timey, like antiquated notion of guilt and judgment and all that stuff. Let me ask you this question. Just how confident are you of the innocence of your soul? Like just objectively, how confident are you that you are actually living up to your own standards that you've set? Not, let's even take God's, you know, moral standards. Are you even living up to your own standards, your own law that you offer yourself? And the answer is like, no. So what the Bible is saying 
is something that we actually know. We bury it. Is that we know there's something deeply wrong with us. The Bible just names it. The Bible names what is wrong with your conscience. Why you feel bad when you say something. Why something you say is wrong and something you say is right. Why you feel terrible for saying or thinking or doing something. Why you feel bad about that and we shove it down and we try to drink it away or we try to exercise it away or we try to eat it away. We try to shove it down. The the ultimate problem is if the Lord would mark iniquities, none of us could stand. See, the problem is God stands as judge over everyone. The ultimate answer, we ultimately have to answer to him. So it doesn't matter, like, ultimately what I think about you. Like, I'm not your problem. It doesn't even matter what you think about me or even what you think about each other. See, we make those judgments based on, like, superficial things. Like, how about this? I'm better than that guy because that guy drinks and I don't drink. I'm better than that girl because she sleeps around and I don't sleep around. Like, God's like, that's cute, whatever. All that matters is, is every single person has, has sinned before me. Everyone is ultimately guilty. That's the case that the Bible's making. And it's really, really, really scary bad news. It will never be good news, and the church will only be some nice, benign society until we're struck with the reality that the law of God is real and that our guilt is real. And what does that look like? Maybe God's driving that home to you right now. The bad news in your life. But you don't stop there. You go straight to the good news. Here's the good news. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? Not Richie, not Matt, not Will, not Caroline, not Katie, not your mom, not your dad, not your counselor, not your teachers, no one. He says this, but with you there is forgiveness. Do you see that? Boom. How did a professor call that the glorious conjunction? No one can stand, but with you there's forgiveness. It's right there. Boom, boom, right there. Immediately. Bad news, good news. This is the gospel. We see it in Ephesians 2. That we are by nature children of wrath. That we are carrying out the desires of the body and the mind like the rest of mankind. Bad news. But God, rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and our iniquities, made us alive together with Christ. You have been, by grace, you have been saved. And it's complete salvation. Romans 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It means it is finished. Complete forgiveness. Crazy, crazy amount of sins before God. Crazy. Like, you're worse than you think. That's the point. Like, we're worse than we think before God. And you're more forgiven than you think by God. Do you see this? There's tons of sin. Tons of forgiveness. Listen to what what, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a, a preacher back in the 1900s. Listen to this. When God forgives you, He says you are righteous. I see not a sinner, but a righteous child of my own. I see you in Christ, covered by his holiness and his righteousness. And when God does that to us, he does it once and forever. You are hidden. You yourself, your whole person, and your life stand in the righteousness of Christ before God. With reverence, he said, and authority on the word of God, God sees your sins no more. He sees the righteousness of Christ upon you completely. 
There's no possibility of condemnation. So we're struck by the overwhelming sense of guilt before God. And then at the same time, right next to it, struck with the overwhelming sense of forgiveness right there. Some of you have spent all your time just being struck by how desperate you are and how messed up you are. You have to run straight to the, but God, but with you there's forgiveness. That's what forgiveness is. It's complete. He forgives you. He pardons you. He pardons you. He wipes it out. He declares you forgiven based on what Christ has done. Christ took the punishment. Christ took the guilt. How did he do that? He says, with you there is redemption, plentiful redemption. Here's what that word means. It means deliverance from the payment of a price. I was thinking about this. I have conversations, even this semester, where there's like this vague sense some of you have, like, my life is going really well, and I'm afraid that the other foot is going to drop, the other shoe's going to drop. Like, you ever feel like that? Like, my life is going really well and things are going really good. I got this internship and then like I got a girlfriend or a boyfriend and things are going to be really well. And then like, uh, is God like going to like, like crush me now? You ever felt like that? Am I the only one? Like, is God this ogre that really at the end of the day is waiting to crush me? That waiting for the other foot to drop? How many of us have lived our whole lives so aware of our sin, waiting for God to just let us have it? In Christ, the other foot dropped 2,000 years ago. It has dropped. He has purchased you back with the price of his blood. Jesus Christ became a curse for you. That's what the radical nature of this gospel is. Your judge is your savior. The judge of the world is Jesus, the savior. The judge of the world is the one we've been talking about the past two semesters. The lowly, humble, kind, gentle, dying Savior. That is the one who will judge the nations. That's why he says plentiful redemption. The word plentiful means abundant, full, overflowing. That's what that word means. Overflowing. And so some of you tonight, some of you tonight, are overwhelmed by how much sin you have in your life. Not even just the sins that you've done, like the potential sin. You're overwhelmed by that. He's got more grace. There's more grace and more forgiveness than your sin. But, but, but no, there's, there's more grace and forgiveness. That's what plentiful redemption means. The great our sins and sore our woes, His grace much more aboundeth What have you done? What, what is it? He's got more grace than you have sin. More grace than you have sin. What, what, what have you experienced in your life? What are the things you've done that you're so, like, so burdened by, so overwhelmed by, that you stare at and you look at and you think at some of you are so crushed by? He's got more grace, more forgiveness. But with you there is forgiveness. Why did he do it? Because he loves you. <laughs> That's why. He loves you. Where's that? Just the most famous Bible verse in the Bible. That's like at every football, football game. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You didn't become lovable by the cross, by Christ's death. The reason Christ died is because He already loved you. That's why. Why would, why would God do that? He's love. That's the way He rolls. That's what He does. He is love. What's the most loving thing He could do? Die for His enemy. That's it. Okay, so how do I live this way? See, this is the hard part for me. Yes, bad news, good news, bad news, good news. But that government, I gotta wake up tomorrow and be Richie again. With all my stuff. I'm gonna wake up tomorrow and like be weird. I gotta wake up tomorrow and like have fears and anxieties and like appointments and like all these things. And a pass. I'm a dragon. I've got all this big, like, huge backpack of Richie. And I've got to, like, somehow get through my day. How do I do that? Here it is. Desperate confidence. The psalmist gives the most amazing picture. And only God can come up with this. Because the Bible's inspired. And so here it is. He says, my soul waits for you like the watchman wait for the morning. Like the watchman wait for the morning. And I've said this. Anytime the Bible repeats something, it's like, listen to it. Like, listen to it. It's like, exclamation mark. Like, shining lights upon it. Here's what he's saying. God's forgiveness and acceptance of you means that you wake up desperate like a watchman for the morning. If you think about in the ancient world, like when there were no artificial lights, when the lights went out and it was dark, it was what we say in Arkansas, country dark. You see country dark? We don't have country dark in Nashville. It's just like dark, kind of. But like country dark means you can't see, the, you can't see your, your hand in front of your face. That's country dark. Okay, that's crazy dark. Imagine that like 4,000 years ago. That's like moon dark, right? This was the person who had the last watch of the night. They would sit up on the walls waiting for like people to come and murder them. That's what they did. That's what they did at night. And without a flashlight, like, you know what you're waiting for? The freaking sun, right? Like, you're like, who's, what was that? Like, boy, you know how bad it would be to be the last guy of the watchman? Like, who's like, what was that? What was that? Was that you? Like, think about, like, some guy coming to, like, take over. Okay, here's what he's saying. More than the watchman wait for the morning. Waiting, waiting, waiting. What? Waiting desperately for the sun to rise. Desperate. And guess what? You think they were confident that it was going to come up? for the sun to come up and totally confident that it was and you wake up desperate in your need for forgiveness desperate for God to love you desperate for God to help you desperate for God to get you through another day and what he's saying is I'm as certain as the sun rising a Christian is someone who is desperate and confident